Welcome to another edition of ABI Podcasts. I'm Sam Giordano, Executive Director of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today we look at another possible government enemy casualty of the financial crisis, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. The PBGC ensures the retirement future of nearly 44 million Americans in more than 30,000 private sector defined benefit pension plans. Through the last fiscal year ending September 30, the PBGC's insurance program reported a deficit of nearly $11 billion before the worst of the stock market losses occurred. While the agency has traditionally run a deficit, the GAO has designated the PBGC as high risk as a result of a history of weak plan funding rules that left it susceptible to claims from sponsors of large, severely underfunded pension plans. The PBGC gets no funds from the Treasury and relies instead on premiums paid by employers and on investment income. Its investment policies, while offering the potential for higher returns in good years, have also suffered recently the consequences of greater risk. And the current economic environment facing large employers with massive pension plans, such as GM, loom as another danger to the long-term solvency of the PBGC. While the ERISA law that created the PBGC in 1974 explicitly states that the U.S. government does not stand behind the pension liabilities insured by the agency, the political reality is probably very different, especially in an age where the government is taking such a dominant role in government and even private financial institutions. So the question is, are we looking at the next great American bailout? With me to discuss it is Nell Hennessy, President and CEO of Fiduciary Counselors, Inc. in Washington. Prior to heading up the company in 1999, she served for five years as Deputy Executive Director and Chief Negotiator of the PBGC, representing the agency in negotiations with major corporate plan sponsors and unions in a variety of troubled industries, from steel to textiles to airlines. She helped negotiate a major deal with General Motors that was recognized for its innovation. She has an undergraduate degree from Michigan State, a law degree from Catholic University, and an LLM in tax from Georgetown, and she's regarded as one of the leading experts on pension and benefits law. Welcome, Nell, to ABI Podcast, and thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. First, um, Can you explain a little bit what your firm does in terms of the resources available to your clients? Fiduciary Counselors is a registered investment advisor, and we advise uh, clients on PBGC matters, um, other uh, benefits-related bankruptcy matters, um, and we also serve as independent fiduciary uh, for pension plans. Many of our assignments uh, don't involve troubled companies. They're for company stock funds in in uh, investment-grade companies, Um, but we have been the independent fiduciary in a number of cases where we represented the interests of the defined benefit plan um, in terms of uh, seeking to collect the contributions that were owed to the plan during during a bankruptcy, or we represented the 401k plan in a uh, uh, situation where um, equity, uh, the stock held in the 401k plan, uh, was going to get some recovery in the bankruptcy. So your, um, your, your clients are companies and their plans? Our, our clients are primarily plans mm-hmm. um, uh, on the independent fiduciary side and, and companies 
on the PBGC slash bankruptcy side. Okay, okay. Um, let's uh, look at the uh, PBGC's financial uh, snapshot, if you will. If you um, look at a graph comparing the assets and liability of the PBGC from 1991 through today, you see the deficits becoming more pronounced beginning in about uh, 2003 as the agency took over more plans of companies filing for bankruptcy, uh, at one point seemingly the entire U.S. steel industry, uh, and the number of future deferred pays grew, while investment income was also high from particularly 2005 to 2007, that trend has reversed with the financial markets um, downturn. So broadly speaking, uh, how long are these sorts of deficits sustainable before uh, the federal government uh, gets excited and uh, steps in to try to shore up the PBGC? Well, interestingly, the PBGC has has been in deficit most of its history. Um, co when Congress enacted ERISA in 1974, it required PBGC to um, take over terminated plans before it began to collect premiums. Um, and there's, a, there's only a brief period, I'm proud to say, a period when I was there um, in the 90s, um, and I think continuing into the early 2000s, um, when PBGC actually ran a surplus. Um, so I, it will be a long time before anyone has to bail out the PBGC because it pays benefits over time. When it takes over a plan, it uh, doesn't immediately have to pay out the way the FDIC has to pay out on a bank. Um, it's paying out over uh, uh, a great number of years. And, uh, in fact, each time it takes over a plan, they, the, the plans it takes over tend to have significant assets. Um, as well as liabilities, and so um, uh, any any bailout is likely to be um, um, twenty or thirty years in the future. While the, um, as you point out, the PBGC usually operates at a deficit and and doesn't have to pay out immediately upon plan termination, like the FDIC does. Could you see a scenario, uh, perhaps the alternative, where benefit payments? from the PBGC um, would have to be cut uh, as an alternative, perhaps, to government intervention? I, I think that with respect to people who are already uh, covered by the PBGC, I, I think it's more likely that Congress would step up to, uh, to fund those, those benefits that are already guaranteed. Uh, even though there's no statutory requirement to do so, there was always a suspicion that um, the Congress wouldn't let retirees uh, lose uh, their benefits um, once they were in, in pay status with the PPGC. And uh, the recent bailout of the money markets, which were never had coverage to begin with, um, and financial institutions suggest that um, that's even more likely. In today's uh, shaky economic environment, companies with pension plans uh, frequently can't afford to meet their funding requirements. For example, it was 
just reported that last year the financial market collapse left corporate pension plans at the largest companies underfunded by over $400 billion. Is this a matter of the uh, recession and the market meltdown simply reinforcing a kind of perfect storm impact on pensions, or is it not something to be alarmed about? Well, I think it's a little too early to tell, um, because at the same time you had uh, uh, the assets going down, um, near the end of the year you actually had relatively high corporate um, uh, bond rates, uh, which are used to measure the liabilities for purposes of, of calculating the amount that's that's owed in annual funding. And... Um, uh, that will have uh, that will have a little bit of an offsetting impact. Uh, Congress in December enacted the Worker Retiree and Employer Recovery Act of 2008 that gave um, some relief, at least for the 2009 year, uh, for plans that suddenly found themselves significantly um, underfunded that had not been underfunded before. So I think. When the dust settles and people know what the funding obligation is at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009, um, I think we will see more proposals to Congress to tweak the, 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 the act uh, yet again. Um, it's important to remember that the funded status of the plan, let's just take calendar years because off-year fiscal years are just get confusing, mm-hmm. but most plans are, are on, a, on a calendar year. Um, so they're looking at their funded status at the beginning of 2009. The payments that they'll make in 2009, though, are based on what they owed in, in 2008. They make estimated payments the same way you do with income tax. They're f- different dates, but they're four different payments. And then they make a catch-up payment in September of 2010. So um, it will be a while before we see the, the impact. We, we should begin to see, to get some idea of what the impact will be when corporate, uh, 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 corporations report their 10-K to the SEC because in their pension disclosure, um, they will have to uh, disclose uh, what, the, what their anticipated funding is going to be. Now, you mentioned the, the most... The is not going to come in 2000 nine as much as it's going to come in 2010 or later. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the most recent uh, congressional reaction. Um, now, was that in response to the uh, 2006 pension reforms? Yeah, it, 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 it includes a bunch of technical corrections to the 2006 um, uh, funding rules that were and, and other rules that were put in by the Pension Protection Act of 2006. And the goal there but was it, the main driver for the legislation was um, a a desire to uh, create a transition um, so that companies would not and their workers would not be as impacted by the uh, decline in the stock market um, or the decline in the markets generally. But the goal was to um, encourage companies to reach 100% funding. 
The goal of the PPA was to, to reach 100% funding. Mm-hmm. But PBGC's risk is always, I mean, there's always a balancing act because you don't want to make the funding so um, onerous that it drives companies into bankruptcy. Right, right. And indeed... And what was happening, what we were seeing in the, you know, in November, October, November, December... Um, was this very large decline in the in the assets of the pe- of pension plans, as you mentioned, and we were seeing companies that had been very well whose plans had been very well funded in the ninety some percent suddenly were dropping into you know below eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it was a pretty dramatic shift that Congress reacted to pretty quickly by passing the the late two thousand eight uh, bill. That's right. All right. Is there, I mean, it seems like a bit of an irony that the need to cover pension shortfalls might prompt companies to reduce spending on the very kind of items that might, say, boost productivity and increase revenues to actually fund the pensions. I mean, isn't well, it I all related? that was part of what went into congressional thinking in enacting the bill in December was that this, uh, this money could be better used in the uh, – economy, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing a shift, um, at least in the near term, I don't think long run, but I think in the near term, the focus is going to be on measures to get people to spend money on capital needs and productivity rather than um, save it, and pensions are a form of saving. Mm-hmm. Let's um, talk a little bit about uh, General Motors. You're familiar uh, with their situation from having uh, worked um, on it in the uh, 1990s. Uh, obviously, their current economic problems uh, are well known today, and they're uh, pretty clearly worse off uh, today. Um, uh, in the popular press, many people finger the legacy costs, such as pension obligations, as part of General Motors' problem. Um, how do you how do you see their pension obligations in the in the range of uh, of issues that are causing uh, General Motors financial problems? At the moment, it, it, the the although you're correct that legacy costs are the are the big issue um, for the auto the the domestic automakers. Uh, the issue um, facing all of at, at least GM and Ford. I'm I'm. Because Chrysler's private, right. um, we we don't know as much about them. Um, but the issue facing GM certainly is less the pensions than um, their retiree medical obligations. Um, on the pensions, they put in something over thirteen billion a couple of years ago into their pension plan, and as recently as November, based on. Uh, 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 data on their pension plan, information about their pension plan through at least September, they reported publicly that they did not anticipate having any pension contribution for the next three or four years. So, um, and I, they have a pretty sophisticated investment operation. So I would think that they're, that although they've had some some, um, decrease in their assets, um, that by November they would have a good idea of what what their, uh, uh, pension funding is going to look like in the next couple of years. 
a bigger concern for them is that they have an obligation under uh, settlements that they've reached. Um, they have an obligation to make payments to uh, the new auto worker Viva, um, and that the Viva is a trust that will provide the benefits for uh, the retiree medical benefits for their um, their retirees. Um, the settlement was reached in 2007. Uh, it was approved by the court uh, last uh, summer, um, but the VIBA doesn't take over the obligation to make the payments until the beginning of 2010. And at that time, GM um, and, and also Ford and Chrysler are required to make certain payments. And then on an ongoing basis, they each each deal is slightly different, but they have obligations to make to make payments over time, uh, some of which are secured by notes. Like any the other discussion about legacy costs, um, and particularly the discussions um, in December when it looked as if Congress was going to do a specific auto worker or auto auto company bailout. Um, revolved around those payments um, and certain members of Congress insisting that the that the um, auto workers and the the viva agree to take stock uh, for at least a portion of the amount that's owed uh, and I think working out those numbers, figuring out how those payments will be made and whether they'll accept uh, stock is going to be where the focus is, is uh, going to be in the in the benefits area. If if General Motors did file a bankruptcy, would uh, the VBA be subject to a uh, Section 1114 analysis with regard to whether or not it, that that agreement could be abrogated, terminated in a uh, in a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Well, it's actually really interesting um, because. The 1114 deals with the obligation to pay retiree medical. Um, th that GM still has that obligation in 2009. Um, in 2010, that that obligation will Shifts. be shifted to the VIBA. Right. And I would expect that if the bankruptcy were to occur in 2010 or later, the VIBA's claim would be simply would be very much like um, a. a a medical provider's claim uh, against the company. The participants would still get their benefits from the VIBA, uh, and the VIBA would have a claim, uh, again, pursuant to the settlement, would have, have a claim against GM. Uh, and I don't think 1114 would be implicated. Mm -hmm. But in 2009, with GM still paying benefits, I'm not entire, I, I don't think anybody knows how it will turn out. Mm -hmm. And that would, in fact, be, could be, wouldn't that uh, possibly a, a, a principal benefit that General Motors might um, uh, be able to invoke if they did file a bankruptcy, the, the opportunity to get out from under uh, that uh, payment of that obligation under Section 1114, perhaps? Well, I, uh, they, they, um, they've already gotten a... The, the settlement is a, a significant savings for them over what they would have had to pay for retiree medical. And as pursuant to the settlement, the 
union agreed that they would never negotiate over retiree benefits again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a certain GM has has benefits under that settlement, um, and they may want to retain those benefits. So um, if I understand your, your answer earlier with regard to the pension uh, funding uh, situation of General Motors, that that we're not in a, a danger of uh, General Motors doing a distressed termination of their pension plan in a bankruptcy. Yeah, although I think it's always possible that they that 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 could, that they could happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's not terribly likely, and I, certainly if if uh, they're going to do any sort of a prepackaged bankruptcy, I would be surprised if they if they uh, did anything with the pensions. How about, are you comfortable with a what if? I mean, what if they did? Could the PBGC handle something of that dimension? Um, they they could handle it in terms, I mean, they would get a significant amount of money. Um, they'd have a significant increase in the number of retirees for whom they were paying. It would be an administrative, mm-hmm. it would strain them a little administratively, but they would have they would have plenty of money to keep operating for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we are we really uh, talking here um, in, in terms of the implications for taxpayers, I mean, which we've already seen in the financial uh, arena? How how much of that um, future burden for taxpayers uh, is represented by the the risk of of outstanding uh, pension obligations and and potential problems. In other words, I mean, it's inconceivable to me that Congress or the incoming administration or any administration would let the private pension system be at risk of failure. So if that's true, then at what point uh, uh, would we uh, would we see the government um, even more interventionist than they are in terms of uh, taking over a pension, uh, ensuring pension futures for uh, employees uh, at issue here? I think they're less likely to do that than they're simply to stretch out the payments um, and, and allow employers to take more time to fund the plans. Because there's no, there's no reason for Congress to put money into a, an, uh, a you know, paying for benefits that aren't going to be collected for years and years. Um, so I think the more likely scenario is that they'll give some relief on the funding side, um, if necessary, beyond what they did in December. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the plans have you know, a fairly significant amount of time to, to recover. I don't think Congress is going to want to have pension funding driving companies into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that'll have the very result that they're trying to avoid, which right. is that these liabilities will then get dumped on the PBTC. Right. I mean, in that sense, the, the 2006 reforms, you know, made simply made a lot of sense while the stock market was white hot, the economy was growing, uh, people saw the, the underfunding gap as a potential problem to tighten up and and so uh you know that that's part of the driver there and then as conditions change congress reacts by relaxing the the funding requirement on the companies 
Well, one of the problems with the 2006 Act was that it marked everything to market so that um, it makes it very difficult for employers to plan their funding because they don't know they don't know what their assets are going to be and they don't know what their what the interest environment is going to be um, so it's as if somebody was as if you were taking your mortgage and instead of just having variable on the interest you were re you were readjusting the the dollar amount of your mortgage from year to year and some years it would go up and some years it would go down so it's um, it's now driven after PPA. It's now driven by factors. The the interest rate is driven by factors that are largely outside the company's control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I I I would have I would like to say that that this is an opportunity for Congress to rethink what they did in PPA, but I just don't know that anybody has the has the stomach for it. Do you see in um, in the uh, upcoming Congress any major uh, reforms further aimed at um, trying to strike this proper balance between uh, company funding and and uh, ensuring uh, uh, obligations to uh, pensioners and retirees? Well, the ink was barely dry on the Worker, Retiree, and Employer Recovery Act of 2008 when people started to raise uh, issues that needed to be fixed that hadn't been fixed in that act or problems that were created by that act. So I think it's likely that we will see a push um, from the private sector to to make some changes. Um, but so far, all I've seen are suggestions for tweaks, very, you know, sort of technical changes, technical changes that might have big dollar impact, uh, but that are not uh, any any re re uh, uh, you know, they're not changing the way in which the, the mainstream ca- way in which funding is done. So to go to the uh, the initial uh, uh, question uh, proposed at the outset, you don't see uh, the nation's uh, private pension network as the next sort of financial iceberg for uh, Congress to uh, be worried about? I, I don't. I, I think that we're... I think that we're going to always have the PBGC, or almost always have the PBGC on GAO's high risk mm-hmm. list, um, because it, its liabilities are um, so much. Whether it takes a pension plan is largely outside of its control, mm-hmm. um, and it's a function of which companies go bankrupt, and whether at the time they go bankrupt, uh, their plans are well funded or or not well funded. Uh, so we've seen, you know, a number of changes since Congress enacted the ERISA uh, in 1974 and created the PBGC, and I would anticipate that we'll continue to see changes um, as we go forward. Okay. Well, uh, we're about uh, out of time for today, but I want to uh, thank our guest, uh, Nell Hennessy of Fiduciary Counselors, for joining us. Thanks for your time today, Nell. You can find her firm on the internet at www.fiduciarycounselors.com. And we thank our audience for joining us. All of the past ABI podcasts can be found at the homepage of the American Bankruptcy Institute, which is www.abiworld.org. 
Until next time, this is Sam Giordano saying goodbye from the American Bankruptcy Institute. <laughs>